This episode of First Line is sponsored by TrueLearn. TrueLearn is an exam prep company best known for their smart banks that turn your weak areas into your strengths. I decided to partner with TrueLearn because it is the only company I trusted for preparation for Comlex Level 1 and Level 2. Each TrueLearn SmartBank practice question has detailed answer explanations and succinct bottom lines to get the big learning takeaway. For my listeners taking the USMLE, TrueLearn also has an amazing USMLE SmartBank. If you are in your third year, TrueLearn also offers SmartBanks for shelf exams and Comat shelf exams. Go to truelearn.com and use one of my special discount codes for up to $35 off your subscription. Special discount codes can be found in the episode description. Welcome to First Line. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and I am a student doctor in my last year of medical school. First Line brings listeners of all backgrounds together to discuss whole body health and wellness through an osteopathic lens. First Line covers tangible ways to improve your health, how to succeed in medical school, and various topics in healthcare, including mental health, all while holistically addressing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. I just completed the USMLE step two yesterday. So I wanted to take some time to talk about my initial impressions of the exam. Obviously, I don't have the scores yet, and I will record again after the scores are released to talk about if I did better or worse than I thought I would and how it compared to the practice test that I did. So I will first say that I took about four weeks of dedicated. I wasn't working in the clinic anymore. I wasn't doing a rotation. I wasn't studying for any tests besides the board exams. So basically four weeks of dedicated, and I think that's pretty much the average. For me, I thought that four weeks was a good amount of time. I think that it was enough time to get through my question banks even though I never finished my question bank. And I also did the official NBME practice exams. And I'll share how my score compared to those. The questions were very similar to the NBME practice exams. And I thought that there was a range of difficulty with the questions. Some of them had very short question stems that I could really go through it within like 30 seconds. And others took quite a few minutes for me to sort through. And I had to flag a lot of questions. A lot of blocks were harder than other blocks. There were some blocks that I was flagging. So out of 40 questions, maybe I was flagging like 10 to 15. So not half, but a good amount of them and for some of the blocks I marked three so there's very much variability so some of the questions seemed like I was just doing Anki that I had a a piece of information memorized and they gave it to me in the question and I knew exactly what what was going on and I chose an answer and I moved on real fast 
Whereas other questions, I remember one in particular that it was a patient presentation, obviously, and it sounded like there was one disease process going on that I knew about, and then it asked about a complication of this disease process long term. And there was five answer choices, and I didn't know what any of them were, and I couldn't even make an educated guess. But other than that one question, I could at least at least cross out answers that I knew were not correct. And most of the time, I would narrow it down to two. Otherwise, I feel like I was pretty confident in what I chose, but some of the questions were worded pretty vaguely that it looked like two answers could be correct. But I think there were quite a few questions that I think if I had a dedicated that was a year long, that I was just doing questions, practice questions for a year, I think there were questions that I still would never have gotten correct. I just never saw the information. I don't know if it is on any question bank and there's always going to be questions like that. And what is important with doing an exam is just to know that it's one question out of eight blocks, with about 40 questions each, so that's like 320. One question out of 320, no one gets a perfect score, at least I've never heard of it, anyone getting a perfect score, so that's that's one question that's going to be wrong. So it's important to be able to move on and see it as one question and be okay with that and have it not affect you. There was a point that I did feel really discouraged and I wish I prepared myself a little bit more for this. So I want to explain this kind of situation. So some of the questions, um, you might have noticed this in some of the question banks will mimic this kind of structure. So they're paired questions. So let's say it's question number six and question number seven, they're linked together. So on question six, you have to choose an answer and lock it in before you can even view question seven. And then after you view question seven, you cannot go back to change question six. And the reason for this is because they're multi-level questions in that it will give you a patient scenario and it might say, what is the next step? And then you pick that next step. And then the next question will say, okay, you did this. So you did that next step. And then it will ask what the next step after that is. And it basically gives away the answer of the previous question. So you can think of this as being an encouraging thing. So I had two instances of these paired questions. So on one of the instances, the actually the first instance of the paired questions, I got the first question incorrect. You know 100% that you got a question wrong and that really messes you up, I think. Even though you know as you're guessing and narrowing down between choices, you know that there's probably a good chance that you're, you're getting a lot of other questions wrong, but this is something that you know for a fact that you got this question wrong. In the moment, I was like, gosh, I should have thought about this for one more second. That was kind of discouraging. I think I got the second question of that right, but I'm like, gosh, I'm probably going to get the second part wrong too. And then as I'm going through 
difficult questions in the rest of that block, I'm like, gosh, now my block percentage is way low because I have this hard question and I know I already got one of them wrong. So it it did kind of mess me up a little bit. And I wish I kind of prepared myself a little bit more for that. So the second instance of this paired question, I got the first one correct. And this had the opposite effect. I was like, yes, I know what's going on. I know things. And I know for... <laughs> for a fact that I didn't get 0% on this exam because I got at least one question right, I locked that in. And then for the, that second part, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna get this right too. And for the rest of the block, I was like, yes, this is gonna be a really solid block. So just be aware that these questions exist and you're going to know if you're getting questions right or wrong to an extent. Those were only two questions that I knew like, okay, I didn't get 0% on the USMLE, and I also didn't get 100% on the USMLE. And I will say that what else kind of surprised me, so a lot of people stress over the drug ad questions. So I didn't have a drug ad question, but I did have when there are questions that are linked together about a certain document they give you. I think both of the ones I was given were about different studies that were done, and it's basically, um, they give you a patient, and it's a patient coming in wondering about this study. Pretty much the same as a drug ad. These were more like biostat questions. Basically asked me in a convoluted way which of the screening tests in the study had like the highest specificity and then there was like a question about negative predictive value and I think I did well in these questions because I am not one of those students that memorize the formulas and write them out on the whiteboard like the A over A plus C over B over B plus D. I don't do any of those. And I think that helped because I don't memorize those formulas. I actually understand biostats. I know the mathematical reasoning for why it's A over A plus C. Honestly, those letters confuse me so much because they're always going, if they're given to you on a, on a table like that with like the positives and the negatives, they could easily switch the X and Y axes and then all of your letters are mixed up. So memorizing those letters like probably won't do you any good. So I think it's much better to be like, okay, well, this is the number of people who were exposed over the total number of people exposed. So that's the numerator and then over the number of people not exposed to head disease over the total number of people not exposed. So that's your relative risk. And that makes way more sense to me than this like A over A plus C crap. I just reason through it. And then when I have a question that asks me, okay, well, if the sensitivity increased, what will happen to the negative likelihood ratio? Well, then I can reason through that. That is just to say, if you're able to just put in a little bit more thought into biostats with actually understanding the material instead of memorizing formulas, because it takes time to memorize those formulas. And it's just way quicker to actually understand biostats. For a lot of things, I like mnemonics and I like different memory tools. But when it comes to something like biostats, 
when you don't understand it, when you only know the formulas and you're given a question that asks you about the interrelatedness between these different equations and you can't figure it out because you don't actually know what the letters mean, then it's not serving you. I think my counterparts that just memorized these formulas, they probably didn't get any of the questions right that I was given on my exam. But I feel pretty confident that I did pretty well on them because I understood biostats. So that's something that I'm really glad that I did. I was really nervous about sitting for eight blocks, each an hour long, and then you have one hour of break. I actually felt pretty good. I felt that I had a lot more energy than I did last year taking the exams. And uh, the USMLE step one is one block shorter than USMLE step two. I've taken this long of a test before, but I was scared because I have only taken practice exams that were like four blocks long. Um, and the MBMEs are four blocks of an hour and 15 minutes. So that's basically a five hour exam but it was still a lot shorter than an eight hour exam. So I was worried about staying awake for it, but I felt much more alert than I was last year. And I wanted to share kind of what I did to do that. So I had a bowl of oatmeal and then I had two eggs. So I put in cinnamon, chia seeds, walnuts, and almond butter. So this is a lot of protein and fiber. This gives you more lasting energy because I think you do need carbs for a long testing day because carbs are what your body prefers to use for energy. So I was basically having like double the amount of breakfast that I normally would have. That breakfast really made it so that I could kind of snack throughout the day and not become hungry. And I also had a cup of coffee in the morning as well before I left. So none of what I had had any sugar, but it did have carbs and it did have a lot of protein and it did have healthy fats. And that's what I would recommend people to do. So in the morning I was eating all this food and drinking coffee and doing some flashcards. I did not do practice questions um, that morning. I really only did some Anki. I actually, for several days before my test, I gave up coffee and caffeine and I did that so that on test day and this is something that I did read from someone on reddit that they actually gave up uh, caffeine for a week and then when they had it on the day of their exam then they felt like they didn't need it and I kind of felt that too that the coffee gave me actually gave me energy instead of bringing me up to my baseline it actually gave me energy so especially if you're someone that drinks several cups of coffee um that might be hard to keep up with on test day especially if you want to have more caffeine than you usually do that's hard to keep up with so i think decreasing your caffeine in intake before a test and then giving yourself your caffeine back on test day i think that works you just have to be aware of your body's effect from caffeine because if you're not a coffee drinker and then you have a cup of coffee and it makes you jittery then that's probably not the best thing i also had a five hour energy that i used and i actually had the extra strength and i did this i believe it was after my second block that i had 
about half of the bottle. And then after my third block, I had the rest of the bottle. That gave me enough energy through my whole test and I felt really good and I felt like I had pretty consistent energy. For most of the blocks, I actually, and I consider myself a pretty fast test taker, I rarely read the whole question stem. I usually skim through the vitals kind of looking for something in the physical exam too. And even some of like the history portion, I kind of skim through that, especially if I know what's going on. So I rarely read every single word carefully in a question. And I do read it like out of out of order, like I'll, I'll read the question at the end and then I'll go back to the, the beginning of the question. So I consider myself a fast test taker. I never ran out of time for any block, either on a, on a practice test or on the real thing. But I will say that my last block, so block eight, I almost ran out of time. Like I saw that I had 10 questions left and I had 10 minutes left. And you're usually given a minute and a half per question. So I knew I was going to run out of time. So I really had to race through those 10 questions. But then I ended up, because I tried to go faster than I normally would, and like just the adrenaline of it, um, even after such a long day, I actually did have about two minutes left that I could go back to those 10 questions and I could read them a little bit more carefully, but I was able to finish in time. Just know that yes, you have an hour per block, but make sure when you get to question 20 that you have at least a half hour left, right? And then when you get to question 30, make sure you have 15 minutes left and if you have anything less than than that you have to hurry up because ideally you would you would take less than a minute and a half per question so that at the end you could go back to the ones that you marked so ideally like you should have more than 15 minutes left um once you hit question 30. I think the reason why I was pinched for time is because maybe I was getting a little bit tired so I think maybe I should have split up drinking my fiber energy over three different breaks instead of two breaks. I think that's something that I'll probably try for complex level two when I take it. It didn't quite last the whole five hours that it is marketed as. If you are someone that needs caffeine, I think even even if you don't think you'll need it, it's good to at least pack something that is caffeinated so that if you're like, whoa, that block that I just did, I was falling asleep, I need something, like, then you'll have it on you. Also, I took breaks between every block that I did, except for one time. So I took six breaks in total. I think this was really good, but make sure you're at a testing center that they can actually get you in and out quickly. So if you have 60 minutes of break, and let's say you're taking all of your breaks, so seven, then you have about eight minutes per break. Those breaks I probably took that eight minutes to do because during those breaks also I was having a little bit of a snack and I was drinking water and I was, I walked outside and I walked back in. So those breaks probably took me eight minutes. If I wasn't going to the bathroom, it was probably under five minutes to do. So the snacks that I packed were pretty similar to what I wanted to do with my breakfast. So healthy protein, healthy fats, and low carb or complex carbohydrates, right? So the snacks I packed that I will probably do again is that I had two 
cheese sticks. So either like the string cheese or the ones that I have is called snacking cheese. So it's just like a block of cheese that's individually wrapped. And so I thought those were a really small enough snack that I could also eat quickly. Um, so I packed two of those. Those were the snacks I had at the beginning of the day. And then I also had um, these protein bars. So I kind of was snacking throughout the day. So I had consistent energy level. Other snacks I brought were blueberries. So I had some blueberries during some breaks too. And yeah, then I had a big water bottle that I brought and I had additional water bottles in case I ran out. Another thing I would recommend is to not take your phone in with you and to not bring study materials. Last year, I had this great idea that I was, I brought study materials and I got to the test center pretty early before I had to be there. So like when I was in my car, I could study a little bit, but I don't think that helped me at all. I, nothing I looked at in the 15 minutes before I had to go in helped me with any of the questions. So I, I think that probably stresses you out more than helps you at all. You could argue that doing Anki the morning of does the same thing, but for me, it just gave me a little bit more reassurance that I do know things. But some people will even go between like breaks in their block and they'll study and they'll look over their notes or they'll look up an answer that they got wrong. And I think that's just such a bad idea because then like it's the same thing with like those uh, grouped questions. Like, okay, if you look up an answer and then you're, you know that you did get it wrong. Well, that's just going to make your confidence decrease and you're going to feel way worse for the rest of the exam. So I think it's just better to move on. I don't think that anything's tested twice, really. So I don't don't think that learning from a mistake you made is going to help at all. I don't think you need any distractions like study materials or going on your phone. So that's something that I'm glad that I did and I will be doing again. So I think just leading up to the exam, I did try to adjust my sleep schedule so that I wouldn't be completely tired when I woke up um, on the day of the exam because I do have to wake up. I think I woke up at like 5.15. Um, so I was already kind of ready by waking up around 6 or 6.30 the few days leading up to it, but I really did want to make sure that I was getting a full nine hours in the few days before the exam because I knew that on the the night before the exam that I would really struggle to get a full night's sleep and it might be hard to do that. And I still wanted to be well rested. So I wanted to feel like I didn't need a full nine hours. So I think I did that fairly well. I don't think I was sleep deprived at all. And then I made sure like my day, the days leading up to my exam that I was exercising for an hour a day that I was eating well. Then it's just preparing you for success. Oh, I will also mention that the MBME practice exams, there were a few questions that were very similar, like they used the same picture and the answer was the same on one of them that I saw. And there was probably other ones that maybe I didn't notice as much. But so it definitely helps to do those because they might give you a free answer on the exam. And yeah, I will record again at a later time to talk about um, how I did. Hello again. I am now recording this after I got my USMLE Step 2 score back. I was very happy with my score. 
So I feel very comfortable uploading this episode talking about my tips and tricks. I won't share my exact score just because I I don't really find that to be useful at all, but I will say how much better that I did compared to what I was expected or predicted to do. The practice exams that you do are more difficult than the real thing, which is a good thing, right? Because then you are prepared to tackle something more difficult than it really is. You're over-prepared. I think that they do under-predict, but if you are scoring like below the passing range, that should be an indication to you that maybe you do need to reschedule your exam, especially if you're within a month from your exam. I think that the under-prediction isn't enough for me to encourage anyone that is having practice exams below passing to then be like, this is just an under-prediction, I'm going to do that much higher. If you don't do well under pressure, maybe you'll actually do worse on the actual exam. I'm not saying that that's perfect for everyone, but I'm just saying that if you do consider yourself a good test taker, which I do consider myself to be a good test taker, then I think that you're going to do better on the actual thing. I am really happy with my score and I'll probably have more tips um, when I record about Comlex. Even if you're not taking Comlex, I think that would be a good episode to listen to because I might share a few more tips that is applicable to any board exam, not just with Comlex. I'm going to be not talking about actual numbers here, but the differences between numbers. And I hope that this might help some of you. I am happy to say that my actual score was higher than any of my practice exams, and I think we're taught to believe that our actual exam is going to be like an average of all of our practice exams, and I'm sure that is true for some people, but it's not true for everyone. And so I just hope that this part of the episode can be encouraging to you. I'll also share when I took each of the practice exams as well, because that's important too. So the first practice exam that I took was the UWorld 1. And I took that on May 3rd, and my exam was May 31st. And I got 44 points lower than my actual score. Um, The next practice test I took was a week later. It was the AMBOSS practice test that everyone has to take within the same week period and then the results come out for everyone at the same time. So that one was 15 points lower than my actual score. On the 18th, I took the MBME 9 and that one was 27 points lower than my actual exam score. And it was actually the score that I got on step one. And I think it was my goal to just improve my step one score. The next one I took was on the 21st. It was the UWorld 2, and that was 22 points lower than my actual exam score. Three days later, on the 24th, I took the MBME 10 a week from my test, and that actually came the closest to my score, but it was still eight points lower. And then three days later, So about four days from my actual exam, I took the MBME 11 and scored 12 points lower than my exam. Just to kind of summarize that, 
my scores were kind of all over the place and they didn't get better as the month went on, which can be super discouraging when you have this dedicated period that you're studying every hour of the day and you expect to get better, but sometimes your practice exam scores can actually decrease. And so I'm just here to say that if that happens, it doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong necessarily. It just means that some practice tests are more difficult than others and they all have different questions on them. Sometimes they go up and down, so don't be too discouraged from those. Um, They are good to just make sure that you're in that passing range, but otherwise your scores can very widely use them as a learning opportunity more so than a predictor and just keep studying because really the only score that matters is your actual exam score not the practice test they're only just an indicator to give you some comfort that you're going to pass but don't get too discouraged if it's not that high number that you're expecting because it could very well be that on the actual exam day which is the only day that matters that you will knock it out of the park And I certainly was very uh, pleasantly surprised by my exam score related to my practice exam performance. I hope that helped. You can follow First Line on Instagram at First Line Podcast or on Facebook, facebook.com slash First Line Podcast. Stay tuned for a new episode every Monday.